You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Che. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. That's where we're going to begin this morning. We'll stand once we've found it. We're going to spend uh, another portion of, scripture, um, of the message in 2 Kings, but let's go to Matthew chapter 5, first of all. Members, look around, please. Make sure that everybody can see a Bible. And if you are here this morning and you do not have a Bible of your own, please do not leave without one. We have a Bible here for you. We don't want anything for it. We want you to have a copy, your own personal copy of God's Word. So if you do not have one, my wife and I will be out in the foyer afterwards and just say, Pastor, I'd like a Bible. We will give you a Bible. I promise you that we will. We would love for you to have one of those. I'll explain what's going on in this passage after the introduction. We're just going to read one verse, and then I'm going to let you sit down. But Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, simply says this. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Will you read it with me? Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Lord, I need you. You know that I need you. Please meet with us this morning. Holy Spirit, move and do a work that cannot be explained other than by your power. Win the spiritual battle for souls in this place. The people who are here who do not know that they're going to heaven when they die, please convict them. The people who are here who have gotten away from you, please call them back home with open arms. The people who are here who have gotten comfortable in their walk with you, please challenge them to take the next step. And those who are doing everything in their power to fight this fight and are losing, help them to see. It is not by our power, but it is by yours. Help us to fight, not with weapons of carnal warfare, but according to your spirit. Lord, we ask this in your name and for your sake. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. God bless you for standing. Somebody asked me recently what the hardest part of pastoring is. It's a difficult question. I think the answer can change. Preacher, I'm sure if you were to consider this question, what is the hardest part of pastoring? I don't know if this answer is number one, but I would say for me, this is easily top three. And the hardest part of pastoring. And it is watching people spend their lives chasing what will never satisfy them. It is watching people waste their lives chasing after what will never riches, education, degrees, companionship, the promotion, the salary the popularity, whatever it is. It's never satisfied anybody. 
The Bible says the eyes of man are never satisfied. My dad taught me growing up, son, do you know how much money a man needs in order to be happy? A little more. Do you know how much popularity a man needs in order to be happy? A little more. Do you know how much sin a man needs in order to be happy? A little more. If you knew me before I became pastor, if you knew me when I was youth pastor, many of, many of you do, I think you would say I'm different than what I was. Some of you only knew me as pastor, and I might seem crazy and happy-go-lucky and smiling. I, I, I promise you I'm much different than I used to be. Especially before I got into the ministry, my mom, my dad can attest to this, my brother, my wife can attest to this. I love to have fun, and I still do. But it was easy for me to laugh. It's not so easy anymore. It was easy for me to sleep. I used to be able to hit the pillow and go to bed. I can't do that anymore. I so often stay up. This last night, I stayed up thinking of person after person who right now is wasting their life, chasing after things that will never satisfy. People who used to sit in these chairs, young ladies who are chasing after companionship and men, men who are chasing after careers and money And they're not happy. Oh, they might post on Facebook, and they might post on Instagram, and they might look happy, but they're not happy. And I know that they're not happy because my Bible says they're not happy. It's difficult to watch. And what we read in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is what you might call Jesus' inaugural address. It's not the first message that he preaches in his ministry, but it's, it's the first main message that he preaches to a group of people who have decided, we want to follow this. It's known as his Sermon on the Mount. I'm sure many of you have heard of that term. And he starts this message with nine statements. Nine statements that begin with the word blessed. And in each statement, what I see, you might see something different, but in, in each of the nine statements, I see that Jesus is addressing a false belief that he is observing in the world. And he's combating that false belief with the truth of what he wants to see in his kingdom. You can see in uh, verse 3. I am observing a false belief that only those who have much to offer the Lord will be accepted of him. That only those who are rich in spirit will be accepted of God. But Jesus says, in my kingdom, what I am teaching you is that only those who realize they have nothing to offer God are the ones who will be accepted. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
He goes on to say, I'm observing a false belief in this world that anybody who has lost somebody or something, give up all hope. Later in, later in an epistle, Paul writes, we are not like those who have no hope. But in this world, Jesus says, I'm observing a false belief that if you have lost something, and especially if you have lost someone, abandon all hope. But I am telling you that no grief in this world can compare to the comfort that will come to my children, those who believe in me in the next world. Blessed are they that mourn, they shall be comforted. He goes on to say in verse, in verse 5, what does he teach in verse 5? What does he say in verse 5? Oh, the meek, I am observing a false belief in this world that only those who are strong obtain the earth. The earth belongs to the strong. I am telling you, earth belongs not to the weak, to the meek. Meekness is strength under control. Strength is when you use your strength for yourself. And this world teaches you that if you are going to make it in this world, you need to stand up for yourself and fight for yourself. Use your strength for yourself. I am teaching you in my kingdom earth belongs to those who use their strength to help others and not themselves. And then he says this, I am observing a false belief that you can find satisfaction in all of these different places. But I'm telling you, only one thing will fill you. Only one thing will satisfy you. Righteousness. Righteousness. And what he's saying is, be, what is righteousness? Rightness with God. Being right with God. Now, what I want to do, I could apply it right now, but what I want to do is I want to make this teaching come alive to you by using an Old Testament story. Because what I observe is that what happened in this Old Testament story physically is a great illustration of what is happening in this world spiritually. And I want to present to you the case that Jesus is teaching in Matthew chapter 5, 6 is the only remedy to what is happening right now in this world. So three different phases of my message. Phase number one, we're going to learn this Old Testament story. We're going to put ourselves in the places of those people. We're going to feel what they felt. We're going to smell what they smelled. We're going to think what they thought. We're going to do what they did. And then we are going to compare the physical, the physical elements of the story to the spiritual elements of our society. And then we're going to consider how Jesus' teaching, how Jesus' truth in Matthew 5, 6, is the remedy for what is going on in our society, and more specifically, what is going on in your life and mine. Let's not be so general to say, oh yeah, there's a problem out there. Let's be honest and say, if there's a problem out there, chances are it began in here. And if somebody else needs help, I need help. The story is in 2 Kings chapter 6. Let's turn there. 2 Kings chapter 6. And we're going to start in verse 24. I'm going to give you some time to get there.
Sir, I'm begging you to listen to me. Ma'am, I'm begging you to listen to me. I'm nobody. I'm, I'm a 32-year-old boy that does not know much. I promise you that. But I have striven to know the Bible. And I've been doing this for a very short period of time. But in that short period of time, I have seen this pattern of people who are wasting their lives, but they truly believe in their pursuit that it's gonna bring them what it will never bring them. And it's heartbreaking to watch, but it is not near as heartbreaking to watch as it is to live. I promise you, the road that many of you are on is not going to give you what it's promising you. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 24 tells us a story of a siege of a city. It came to pass after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his host and went up and besieged Samaria. When, uh, when an enemy could not launch an all-out attack against a city, it would think of another route. And one of the greatest things to do is maybe I can't get into the walls. Maybe I can't take over the city. But what I can do is I can take over the highways that lead into the city. And I can cut off the supplies. So if we're just going to look at this simply, the first element of the story that we have is an enemy has cut off what this city needs in order to survive Physically, We're not talking about luxuries. The enemy's not caring about cutting off seasoning. The enemy's not caring about cutting off tools and toys and clothes. The enemy is cutting off necessities for survival. When an enemy besieges a city, I don't, I don't care if you have luxuries. Go ahead and have luxuries. I'm going to cut off necessities. A lot of people say at the end of the world, we're going to be fighting over oil. We're not going to be fighting over oil. We're going to be fighting over water. Necessities is what it comes down to. The enemy is going to cut off medicine, food, and water. Because you cannot live without those things. Now put yourself in this situation. They besiege the city, and supplies start to go down. As supplies go down, hunger goes up. As hunger goes up, prices go up. We wouldn't know anything about that, right? <laughs> Supply is lacking. Demand is not. But that is the point of a siege. That is what the enemy wants. We're not in a hurry. We are just going to slowly but surely choke you out. And as people start getting more and more hungry the standards of what they consider edible, what happens to it? This happens to many of you men at 11.30 at night. You go to the fridge, you open it, 
Nothing, you close it. You walk away, 30 seconds later, you open it again. Why? There's nothing new in the fridge, but what has changed? Your standards have lowered. And I know it's a funny illustration, but it's, it's, it's simple. The more hungry we get, our standards of what we deem edible is going to go down. People start eating, put yourselves in the story, people are gonna start eating the family donkey. People are gonna start eating, uh, Fido. Now, they didn't have dogs back then, you know, but pretty soon the, the pet starts looking delicious when you're hungry. And then bugs come into play. And then grass and plants and things. As hunger rises, the standards lower. As hunger rises, the price that people are willing to pay to be filled rises. Because you need to eat in order to live. So yeah, you have to put yourself in the story that men start selling property for a meal. Oh, why would you sell property for a meal? He's hungry. Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of soup because he was hungry. People start trading things. I will trade you all of my tools, but I want, I want food. I don't need tools in order to live. I need food. People start trading, but it gets worse than that. The price that rises to get food, we're not just talking about monetary. We're talking about emotional prices. We're talking about prices way different than just something as simple as paper and, and gold coins. Moms and dads start selling themselves into slavery just to get something to eat because they're hungry. Moms and dads start selling their kids just to get something to eat. Ladies and men both start using their bodies trading nights just to get something to eat. Why? Because people are hungry. And if you think that seems a little extreme, oh, we haven't gotten anywhere yet. Look at verse 25. There came a famine in the land. That's the point of a besiegement, right? There comes a famine in the land. Look at how bad it gets. It gets to the point where a donkey's head is sold for 80 pieces of silver. Four score pieces of silver. That's over a year's salary. Over a year's salary back then for an ass's head. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do with that? And a fourth, a quarter of a cab of dove's dung was sold for five pieces of silver. That's a month's salary for a cup of dove droppings. But people are hungry, and their standards of what they consider edible has lowered. But that's not even the worst part. Read in verse 26. 
As the king of Israel was passing by upon the wall, there cried a woman unto him, saying, Help my lord, O king. And he said, If the lord do not help thee, when shall I help thee? Out of the barn floor that's empty? Out of the wine press that hasn't been running in years, months? And the king said unto her, What aileth thee? And she answered, This woman said unto me, Give thy son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and did eat him. And I said unto her on the next day, Give thy son that we may eat him. And she hath hid her son. This is not black words on white paper. This actually happened, people. People are eating disgusting things. Things that they never thought they would eat before. Now I'm going somewhere. You're following, right? People are eating disgusting, repulsive things. And people are committing soulless and depressing and heartbreaking acts. Acts that they never thought. Lady, can you imagine how desperate you would have to be to put your own child in a pot of boiling water? They're eating things they never thought they'd eat. And they're committing acts that they never thought they'd commit because they're hungry. And the more hungry they get, the more and more time goes on, the more desperate they get. And the more desperate they, come, they become, the standard of what they seek to satisfy them falls disgustingly low. And the price they're willing to pay to be filled rises astronomically high. Why is a man trading over a year's salary for a donkey's head. He's hungry, people. Why is the man who fails to catch the dove content with bottling up its droppings and eating it and selling it so that maybe he can trade what he, those five pieces of silver something else? Why is he doing that? Why is a human being doing that? He's hungry. Why are women boiling their own? They're hungry. They're willing to give everything to have anything that just might fill them. The most, we don't like it, it's disgusting indeed, but the most unexplainable acts become justifiable to the hungry. And I believe what happened in this story physically is an illustration, a mirror image of what is happening in our society spiritually. An enemy has come, especially into our country, that claims to be a Christian nation. An enemy has come and cut off what we need to survive spiritually. I don't care about your luxuries and I don't care about your comfort. I don't care about what you need to survive physically. I am going to cut off what you need to survive spiritually. And that is not your podcast. And that is not, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God, that is what we need. That is how we live. 
And God's word, whether you believe it or not, I don't need you to believe it. It's true. God's word has been attacked in this country. Yes, it has. God's word has been attacked in this world. It's been called old-fashioned. It's been called archaic. It's been called out of touch. It's been called no longer relevant. You've been listening to a message for just a little bit now. Do you not see the Bible as being relevant? But it has been attacked. It has not only been attacked, it has been removed. It has been removed from our courthouses. It has been removed from our schoolhouses. But forget about that. It's been removed from our hearts. Thy word have I hid in my heart. If all of the Bibles disappeared right now, how much of it would you have? How much of the Bible would we be able to recreate if it, was only, if it only could be found in the hearts of who claims to be believers? It's been attacked. It's been removed. It's been reworded. It's been reworded. And you cannot reword the Bible without changing the message. You cannot. You cannot reward the Bible without changing the message. We're going to remove the word damnation and put in the word punishment. That's different, people. That's different. Do you not see that that is different? If I were to tell you, if you sin against the Lord, you will suffer eternal damnation. And I say, well, we don't use damnation anymore. If you sin against the Lord, you will suffer punishment. That's different. Punishment can be this. Eternal damnation is pretty clear. But for the sake of making things more understandable, we've also made things more palatable. I don't like the words eternal damnation. I don't like the words hellfire. I don't like the words wrath. I don't like the words judgment. But I need to know it about my God in order to know him and in order to please him. We went over it in Sunday school this morning. We went over it in Sunday school this morning. Some of you have a Bible. If you have an NIV Bible in here, look at Acts chapter 8, verse 37. It's not in your Bible. It goes from 36 to 38. And do you know what Acts 8.37 says? Acts 8.36 says, What doth hinder me to be baptized? Acts 8.37 says, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That verse is gone. That verse is gone. We need that verse. What doth hinder me to be baptized? No point in being baptized unless you believe in Jesus Christ. But we have people who have the audacity to say, well, I can't baptize babies if we do that. So let's take that out. And if you don't see the enemy in that, and before the enemy wears a red cape with a pitchfork, he wears the robes of clergy. Some of you have an ESV. If you read in Genesis 3.16, after Adam and Eve sinned, and God is addressing them in the garden, he looks at the woman and he says, you're going to have pain in childbirth. But then he says this, thy desire, Eve, thy desire shall be to thy husband and he shall rule over thee. Thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Genesis 
what that teaches me, I'm, I'm not a woman, I've never been one, never tried. But what that teaches me is that God has placed a desire in every woman to follow a godly man, a godly man. I believe if the man is ungodly, the lady will lead. Because the Lord didn't make a lady weak. Weaker than men? Sure, weaker vessel. But weak? No. <laughs> Not the women here, anyways. <laughs> Not the women in Texas. But God has placed in every woman the desire, if I had a godly man to lead me, I will, I will desire to follow that. Do you know what the ESV says? Thy desire shall be contrary to thy husband, but he shall rule over thee. Now, I'm not going to turn this message into an argument about which one is right and which one is wrong. Here's my argument. They both can't be right. They're complete opposite. One of them tells the woman, one of them tells the man, Sir, if you will step up and do what you are supposed to do, she will follow you. Another one tells the woman, lady, you're not going to like it, but get over it. Now, once again, I've never been a woman, but ladies, which one is true? Which one do you think is true? I know which one, I know which one the, the, the feminist movement is pushing right now. I know which one that's pushing right now. And how, how interesting that the newest English translation born in the era of the feminist movement changes that verse. Oh, and by the way, one of the main translators of the ESV came out a couple years later and said, we made a grave mistake. It's been attacked. It's been rewarded because, the, and, and it has been, it's been replaced. It's been replaced with man's opinion. We go to churches and we just hear, well, this is what I think. Sir, I don't need to know what you think. I need to know what God says. Because what you think is probably going to change tomorrow. How many times do you find a politician and you're like, man, I like what he says. And then a week later, he's like, I never said that. And you're like, but, but, what, 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 what do you mean? You're on recording. I was under duress. It's, I, don't, I don't need man's opinion. I have my own opinion. And frankly, I like mine better than yours. I need truth. But the devil has come and enemy has come slowly but surely. He's not in a hurry. And he has slowly cut off the supply that we need in order to survive spiritually. And it has led to a deficiency in man. Yes, it has. It has led to a deficiency. It has led to a void in our spirits. It has led to a hole in our hearts that needs to be filled. It cries daily to be filled. And the longer it's gone on, our standards of what we our standards of what we are willing to eat to fill that and the price that we're willing to pay in order to fill that and when Jesus preached his inaugural message he addressed this he addressed it. 
Jesus descended into a severely hungry and yet deeply unsatisfied earth. And our desperation to fill the void in our hearts was immense, is immense. And the more desperate we became, the more disgusting we act. The more desperate we become, the more evil we justify. Let them do it. Let them do it. They're just trying to be happy. She's just trying to be happy. He's just trying to be happy. Let them do it. Do you notice in our country, we used to say, when you do wrong, we're going to punish you for the wrongdoing. But now, because the wrongdoers are saying, I'm just trying to be happy, instead of punishing the wrong, we're trying to make the wrong right. This is a bad illustration, but we're here in Texas. I heard, I heard a, 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 a congresswoman say, instead of making illegal immigration illegal, make it legal. Instead of making theft a crime, make it legal. And then we don't have to deal with theft anymore. But the more hungry we become, the more desperate we become to fill that void, the more evil we justify, the more, the more we redefine bad as necessary. We have called abortion necessary. How is the young lady going to survive at 15 with a baby? So kill the baby. The more desperate we become, the more we're willing to settle spiritually. And the more we're willing to pay emotionally. And what I see is Jesus came down and asked, are you filled? Tell me, are you filled? Or are you still hungry? You're eating anything that promises to fill the void. And you're paying anything to get something that promises to fill the void. Young ladies are paying with their virginity to just try to fill the void. Are you hung are, are you filled? Or are you still hungry? Are you still thirsty? I invite you to open your eyes at what we have stooped to call spiritual food in our society. The most popular preachers get up and give some feel-good 15-minute ditty all about grace, 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 and Jesus understands and love, love, love. Nothing about sin. I understand that God is grace, but grace is not necessary without sin. And grace is not given without humility. And humility does not come until we are told we're proud. But we eat it up. And doesn't the Bible say, in the last days, men will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Tell me what I want to hear, not what I need to hear. We could pack this place out very quickly by telling people what they want to hear and not what they need to hear. 
A hospital is not built to tell the patient what the patient wants to hear, but what the patient needs to hear. And if preaching the truth leads to all of you leaving, I'll preach the truth. We need the truth. We don't need man's opinion. Man's opinion has never changed my life. God's word has changed my life. Man's opinion has never satisfied me. God's word has satisfied me. We go to churches of organizational tradition. Why do we do this, Father? Why do we do this, Padre? Why do we do this, Preacher? Why do we do this, Pastor? This is just how we've always done it. What about the Bible? What does the Bible say? Didn't Jesus tell the religious people full well, you reject the word of God to keep your own tradition? But we've stooped so low, we eat it. We eat it up. We eat it up to where one of the main Christian denominations has such a stranglehold on its followers that they can say, if you want your family member to get out of hell, give us money. And the more money you give, the quicker they'll get out. And people have stooped that low to eat that? It's nowhere in scripture. We watch TV shows about the Bible. And that's where we get our knowledge of the Lord. TV shows, movies, podcasts about him. Books about, books about a book we won't read. Watered down versions that change God's message. We don't need that. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the pure word of God. You wouldn't, drink, you wouldn't drink a glass of water with somebody spitting it? You're going to read a version of the Bible with somebody's own doctrine in it? Look at how low we've stooped. Because we're hungry. The enemy's very smart. The enemy's very smart. He has slowly put a stranglehold. Oh, 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 but don't just look at how low we stooped. Look at how high the price has gone up in this world that people are willing to pay just to be happy. Why? Why does the young girl, 14, 15 years old, sleep around like an animal? Lady, you are God's crowning achievement. He said it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. Then he made man and he said, not good. And he made you. And we have these women just opening themselves to animals because they want to be happy. Are you happy? Are you filled or are you still hungry? Why is the man addicted to pornography? Why is the man on the street doing whatever he can, putting up signs and begging and washing windows just so he can go and get his fix? Why is he doing that? I drive down my street, I see my neighbors sitting in their garage, downing alcohol after alcohol after alcohol after alcohol. It's their life. Why do they do that? And if it did fill them, they wouldn't have to drink so much. If it fills you, why do you keep going back? 
you're not satisfied and you know it. But look at the price we're willing to pay. Women who will go around and sleep around and then abort their babies. Do you know how many women I've counseled? I said, Pastor, I've aborted my baby. And I see my baby. I dream about my baby. I see my baby. Why did I see just this last week a man in rags, obviously homeless, at a gas station, spending what may have been his last cents on a lottery ticket? Why? He's hungry. And when you're hungry, even the most unexplainable acts become justifiable. And Jesus says, only one thing will satisfy you. Only one. Only one thing. Righteousness. Oh, that's just a bunch of religious mumbo-jumbo. Sounds a little cheesy. And that's exactly what they thought. Read the end. Read, he finishes up his message. He finishes up the Sermon on the Mount. And they said they were astonished at his doctrine. Never heard that before. Righteousness? Being right with God? You can believe it or not believe it. But I invite you to consider the fact that the one who created you said, you will always be hungry and you will always thirst and you will never be filled as long as you search for anything other than being right with God. That means it doesn't matter how rich you are. It does not matter how much money you have. If you are not right with God, you will not be happy. And if you don't believe that, then explain away all the celebrities and popular people who, who commit suicide with more money than we will ever see. It doesn't matter how rich you are. It doesn't matter how healthy you are. It doesn't matter how much property you own. It doesn't matter how popular you are. It doesn't matter how successful you are, how smart you are, or how surrounded by pleasurable company you are. If you are not right with God, Jesus says, if you are wrong with your heavenly Father, you will never be filled. Conversely, you might be very poor, and you might not have any health at all, and you might be very unpopular. And in the eyes of the world, you might be a failure in your business. You might be a failure as far as economics and education is concerned. And you might be alone. But if you know you're right with God, you'll be happy. If you know you're right with God, you will be filled. This is why Jesus says in Mark chapter 8, I believe, what shall it profit? What shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? You're spending your life searching after all these things that will never, never satisfy, neglecting the one thing that will. 
You find a man. Jesus said, you find a man, you find a woman, you find a young person. Even a child is known by his doings, whether his work be pure and whether it be right. You find somebody who is happy in this life. You find somebody who is blessed in this life. You find someone who's satisfied. You find somebody who says these three words that many people do not say in our society. I have enough. You find that person. You have found the person who made it their sole objective to be right with God. And you can be right with God in three ways. And you, those who will be blessed, will search in these three ways, will hunger and thirst in these three ways. First of all, to be right with God in heaven. To be forgiven of your sin. To be born again, as Jesus said. To be justified. To be made new. Oh my goodness. Think of all we've done. Think of all we've thought. Think of all we've said. What good news it would be if all of that could be erased and you could start afresh and anew in God's eyes. Wouldn't that be good news? If you could be considered righteous, you know what righteous means? Perfect. It means perfect. Going to heaven is not about being good. It's about being perfect. And Jesus says, there is none righteous, no, not one. But God made Jesus to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. If you will be blessed, you will hunger and thirst to be right with God in heaven. But you won't stop there. You will hunger and thirst to be right with God on earth. You will want to live for the one who died for you. Yes, you will. When, you, when any sinner, foolish as we are, when any sinner comes to the saving knowledge of the fact that Jesus Christ died and was buried and rose again to remove all of God's wrath off of me, and he put it on himself, you will live for that person. You will live for that person. Yes, you will fall. Yes, you will fail. Yes, you will falter because we are still flesh. But deep inside, there will be a spiritual hunger and thirst that you have never felt before to live and please the one who died for you. But then also, you will search for righteousness in others. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. I don't know your life. I don't know your situation. But I want you to consider your ways. Have you, have you found yourself stooping so low? Your standards of what you have deemed edible to fill the void of your heart, it has stooped from being right with God to having a cigarette, it has stooped to being right with God, to having a relationship with another person, it has stooped from being right with God and reading your Bible and praying and learning about your creator and fostering a relationship, a living relationship, it has stooped from that to a bottle of beer, it's stooped from that to a shot of alcohol, 
it stooped from that to pornography? That's what you believe will make you happy? And whether you have been eating that for a week or for a decade, all I'm asking you is, are you filled? Or are you still hungry? And are you still thirsty? Jesus says, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. They shall be filled. Can I put it this way? He's saying, as long as I have anything to do with it, as long as I'm alive, oh, which by the way, as long as I'm alive, as long as I have anything to say about it, when I observe somebody hungering and thirsting, desperate to be right with me, I will not let them go hungry. He started his inaugural address by saying, let me make you a promise. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and I will take care of everything else. I will take care of everything else. Look at the birds. Do the birds sow? Your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than they? And look at the grass, look at the flowers of the field that grow for a day and then they're tossed into an oven. And yet Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And the Lord loves you far more. Seek righteousness first. And I'll take care of everything. If you're still hungry this morning, if you're still thirsty this morning, I would argue it's not a hunger problem. You have a void in your heart and you know it. You have a hole in your spirit and you know it. I would argue it's not an eating problem. You're eating. But you're eating donkey's heads and dove's dung. And it's never going to fill. I don't, I don't think it's an eating problem. You're, you're eating sin. You're eating whatever society has to offer. It's not an eating problem. I will say this. It's not an affordability problem. Nothing costs you more than sin, and we pay for it all the time. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. You know what righteousness costs? It costs the blood of the Son of God. It costs you nothing. It costs Him everything. It's not an affordability problem. If you are still hungry and you are still thirsty in this life, It's what you're eating. It's what you're eating. And it's what you're drinking. I beg you, as one who observes people wasting their lives, searching for what never fills, let me tell you about what always fills. Always. Always enough. Always just the right amount. But you must come. You must come. You must come to the Lord. You must hunger and thirst after that righteousness in heaven, on earth, and in others. You will be filled. You shall be filled. Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. 
May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.